This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Exciting watching the police chase early this morning gave us uh, some things to do. Uh, good guys won. Good. Yeah. That would be the police, right? Just for clarification. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes yeah. You, you never know. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. 2018. You never know. Uh, we got John. Six Bill Mackey, everybody. <laughs> Who's John, a good guy? That's going to get an email there. Uh, Johnny K at 930 <laughs> on the Wolves offseason things. Dan Hayes. On the Timberwolves, let's uh, we have a Judd rant coming up here, but all right, Timberwolves. Let's actually start with the Timberwolves here, Judd Zolgad. Um, I think you probably have a story in front of you, or at least can summarize Johnny Krasinski's story or a newspaper. But not only did the Wolves on their own dismiss three assistant coaches, they had well assistants slash staffers a couple days ago. Now this story comes out: Rick Brunson, who's one of their main bench assistants. He resigns amid allegations of improper behavior toward multiple women. So things are going really well with the Timberwolves right now, basically. Does it feel to you, and this not just from this, but overall, just from, from the discussions that we've had, let's say, in the last month plus, does it feel like I, the Wolves made the playoffs for the first time in 13 years? And I think we all have thought to ourselves, okay, that, that's an accomplishment. That's great. But the flip side in the conversation to me with, with the Wolves is this. I think we were I think we were so blinded by the fact that they were going to make the playoffs that now if you take a solid step back and just take a breath and say, okay, how, how do you really feel about where this franchise is going? It feels off. It, does. it doesn't feel it, yes. It, 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 if you if you just if you just dismiss for one second that for the first time in a fourteen year period they made the playoffs and say how does this organization feel as far as being on the right track for let's say the next five years it doesn't feel right. Yes, in fact, so, and I get I get this email or tweet. I feel like on a daily basis whenever we whenever we bring up the things that make us uneasy about the Timberwolves, despite the fact yes we know they went to the playoffs, yes we know they won forty seven games. And and the rebuttal is always listen. You're I don't know I don't know why you guys are being so hard or so critical. They went to the playoffs. Jimmy Butler was out for a third of the year, and and I understand that. And I still feel uneasy. We still hear things behind the scenes about how the leadership is very questionable. How the the it, it's not like you have a front office and a group of employees behind the scenes all marching in the same direction with. A visionary leader, and that's how it felt with Flip Saunders. That's how it feels right now with the Twins and Thad Levine and Derek Falvey. It's how it feels oftentimes with the Vikings and Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman, right? I mean, not that everyone's going to get along all the time, but it just feels off, like you said. And I'll add this, too, okay? We pile on Tom Thibodeau a lot here, so I don't want this to be specifically about Tom Thibodeau, but just in general, if you were the hiring manager 
and and whatever organization, whether it's a basketball team or this radio station, what, whatever it is, you're in charge of hiring people, okay? And you actually, Brunson, uh, Rick Brunson, the assistant who stepped down due to allegations of improper conduct with women, mm-hmm. he was a Tom Thibodeau assistant in Chicago from 2010 through 2012. So Tom Thibodeau has been around him. Uh, he was a player in the NBA for like a decade. This is a story that came out in 2014. I'm going to read you this. And you tell me if if this comes out, and even if you think it's partially true, would you hire this guy again? Like, is this, of all the people you this could like hire a game show? to help Where'd your you hire this person for a second time? All right, Timberwolves. Brunson was arrested in June 2014 and indicted on charges of attempted criminal sexual assault, criminal sexual abuse, aggravated battery, and domestic battery following an encounter with a massage therapist at a Vernon Hills fitness center. Authorities say Brunson used the name of retired NBA star Patrick Ewing to book an appointment in April of 2014 with the massage therapist who had previously notified Brunson she would no longer provide him with massages. Brunson pleaded not guilty to all charges. He later testified that the incident that uh, that led to the charges was a consensual act as part of an ongoing extramarital relationship. He was eventually acquitted. So you have like cheating on wife, you have maybe harassing woman that you cheated with, and then you have using another player's name to deviously get into a massage and your, uh, parlor, whatever. Your defense is the wrong word or, there. But. Or excuses, I'm cheating, but I'm doing it, and it's okay because it's, she's on board with it. I mean, like, if I okay. if I see this story, and I get he was acquitted of criminal charges, but mm-hmm. it's just like a lot of shady behavior, I, I'm out. I'm just out. I'm, I'm not going to hire you. I'm out. I'm going to broaden this out by saying this. If this is, if Tibbs and and Brunson clearly are friends, and he wants to bring him back. I get that, but to broaden the subject out, and this is this is the type of stuff that gives me a weird feeling about where the, this uh, franchise is now and where it's going. This is where you need a supervisor. This is where you need somebody who can challenge you and say, "Tom, let's think about this for a second. Let, let's look at the and and even if Brunson was exonerated, which he was in this case." Tom, let's sit down and let's talk about this. And is this really the right move? Well, but that, this all that, comes I mean, back Tom, to the conversation. Tom Thibodeau, it, He's his own supervisor. That guy. But that's yeah. the point. But the point is, and what, what we've been talking about is, Tibbs doesn't have somebody who can challenge him because it should be laden. But I don't think he does. And besides Glenn, who else within that franchise can sit Tibbs down and say, "Let's think about this for a second. And does it make sense? And if the answer is no, then it should be no. Yeah, just, I don't know, there's just the whole thing. It just doesn't, something doesn't feel right about this whole thing. We'll talk to Johnny K about it, and also, what what are the chess moves the Wolves can make this offseason? We'll get to that in about 25 minutes. Ding, ding. Paxton ready. Here's the windup and the 0-2 pitch. Swing and a one-hopper to third. Seager's got it. Toss across. Ball game is over. James Paxton has just thrown a no-hitter. Josh Donaldson, you know. I mean, the guy's pretty good. Uh, so I was like, I better bring my best stuff right here. You know, I'm, I'm going to rear back and throw it as hard as I can. You know, that's fastball is obviously my best pitch. They know it. I know it. And I was like, I'm going to let it rip the top of the zone and see what happens. No hitter last night. No hitter last night. James Paxton, congratulations. Canadian guy goes to Toronto. It's a great story. And you just said, said it to this week. And now three on the season. This is part rant, far more lament. Here's, here's the rant. In this all-or-nothing 
day and age of baseball now, where we are either going to hit a home run or we're probably going to strike out. I feel like on a nightly basis, we are going six or seven innings deep regularly and having somebody have a no-no for that amount of time. And I've been lamenting this and ranting about this for about three years now. But a no-hitter used to be special. A no-hitter now is like, oh, really? So special. Oh, really? Oh, really? That's surprising. That's really shocking. It's the third one of the season, and we are sitting here on, what, May the 9th? Here's the lament, though. As somebody that loves baseball and as somebody that grew up with uh, with baseball milestones specifically being so incredibly special, and when there was, if, if a guy got a no-no or a 3,000th hit or or something really special occurred, the local sports pages would tear up their cover, get it out there, right? Albert Pujols on Friday got his 3,000th hit, which was a great story, and he's a great player, and the Dodgers had uh, four pitchers combined for a no-no. And when I picked up the Star Tribune the next day, and probably rightfully so, both those stories were inside with headlines as part of the baseball roundup. And it feels to me now that we have, and I don't know exactly why, but that we have become desensitized towards baseball milestones. Now, if there's one in hockey, basketball, or football, okay, that's nice. I don't care that much. But baseball used to be the sport where we cherished certain figures, where you would get to a certain milestone and it would be a huge deal. And my lament is that seems to be completely gone or mostly gone unless you're a hardcore baseball person. Can I get back on your lawn now? Or do I have to stay? Can I, no, do I have to no, stay go, off your lawn? No. Can I get back on your you lawn? You can come right back on the lawn. I don't want, I don't want nope. old man Zolgad to take a shotgun. Sale, the for sale sign is coming out of the lawn, and you can get back on I the lawn. I don't want uh, Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino to uh, to blow my brains out here. It just feels like what was once special is now just seen as, uh, oh, that's a nice accomplishment. I feel like your perception is a little off here. I feel like I feel like this rant is a little misguided. Yes, we've had a lot of no hitters so far. Like three in the first month and a half is a lot of no hitters so far this year. Uh, how many no hitters did we have last year? Did we have three, four total? One. Okay. How many did we have in 2016? Well, it feels like we had at least three in 2016. We had one in 2016. Oh, it feels like we had more than that. We've had five no hitters over the past three seasons. Mm-hmm. Now there might be another one this year, but we've only had we as home runs have gone up and offense is back. We've had, this problem has been fixed. Mm-hmm. Mr. Fix-It, you should appreciate this. We've only had five no-hitters going back the last three seasons. In fact, when we had seven no-hitters in 2015 and then five the year before that, that seemed like a lot. That's 12 over two years, and I'll give you, like, that's a lot of no-hitters. Yes, and that's what I started that's to get down That's not on even it. as many as when Judd Zolgad, into his adult prime, was falling in love with baseball 1991 Twins, you were just getting into the newspaper business. You were, didn't you go to game seven of the World Series in 1991? Like, this was Both years. peak Judd Zolgad baseball and fan, right? In 1990 and 1991 combined, we had 14 no hitters. 14 between 1990 and 1991. Why weren't you ranting and raving? Oh, I probably, was. Years I probably ago? was. I probably was. I think but your radar is a little off. In the 80s, in my heyday, it felt far, far more special. But 
As I told you, this is more a lament about the fact that it feels like accomplishments in baseball, which once were held as sacred, are now... It's not that they're completely dismissed. They just don't feel nearly as special. But if that's the case now, then it was certainly the case almost 30 years ago when we had more no-hitters over the course of a multi-year But I'm throwing in 3,000 hits as well. I'm just saying that the pool holes, the pool holes accomplishment, the Dodgers get the no-no on the same night, the Paxton one last night... It's just all become, oh, okay, yeah, it's another no-hitter, it's 3,000 hits, that's great, where there was a time, probably when I was a kid, where you absolutely stopped and said, wow, this is incredible. So this, again, this is where perception and facts are going to meet in the middle here. You're going to be perception, I'm going to be facts. Uh, 3,000 hit club. We had seven different players make it to the 3,000 hit club in the 70s. We had oh, I'm not set- saying that guys didn't. I'm saying that, that it felt way more appreciated as a big deal. Well, we had seven more make it in the 1990s. We've only had five so far in the 2000 teens right. make it to the 3,000 uh, 3, no, hit club. But does it feel, but does, do the, do the accomplishments in baseball that, that were once celebrated in, in such a way that it felt incredibly special feel the same to you? Well, I think what's happening. So this is about perception. No, it, it, but, but there's a reason for it. Like, time is passing. So. If there were X amount of 3,000 hit or 500 home run club guys in 1975 or 85, when you let three or four decades of time pass, there's going to be more guys reach those milestones. All right. I'm not saying that more guys aren't when when it comes to 3,000 hits. What I'm saying is the accomplishment doesn't feel nearly as special as it once did. No, but but there are a lot of guys. That's fine. I don't care if there's lots of guys. It just felt like 3,000 hits was once this sacred milestone that, that baseball knew how to celebrate it. And now, pool holes getting there is fantastic, and it's still a big deal to hardcore baseball people, but the celebration of that isn't what it maybe once was. Where, are you, where do you stand on this, Dave? I stand, first of all, that's for you, Phil. That's for you, for using statistical analysis and fact to prove once and for all that Judd is simply getting old, crotchety, and jaded about sports. <laughs> I'm the argument has now become I'm less interested in a... No, I'm still interested. ...in a 3,000-hipper no, se- no, no, career no. You or a no-hitter. You, you're not hearing this. What I'm saying is <laughs> the celebration of the accomplishment feels like it's not that big of a deal as it once was. That's that's the only thing. Is that is because you're not celebrating That's what I'm throwing because out you, there. you feel the baseball world is I not feel, celebrating because I, I feel like there's a lot of talk about James Paxton's no-hitter amongst baseball people today. I feel like the baseball world doesn't have the appreciation for what were once huge events, but I'm I am throwing that out there as a talker, as a discussion point. It's a lament on my part that I feel that way. But I'm not, this is not a hardcore sports take where I'm pounding a table and saying I'm right. It's the way I feel about it. And I'm curious if people feel that the same way. I'm not saying that it, that it is happening too frequently, especially when it comes to uh, 3,000 hits. I'm no, saying that, that was about no no before Phil brought the numbers. I'm saying that about no, no hitters. No, <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not, li- you're not listening. You're not no, listening to well, me. I'm going to, I'm going to, there's one thing I do agree with Judd on this take. I mean, yeah, like the longer, the more guys you see reach milestones in the, over the course of your life, when you're 20 years old and you've only been alive long enough to see, like, three guys make it to 3,000 hits. Like, I remember as a kid, holy crap, like, Eddie Murray, Dave Winfield. This is, this is so cool. Yeah. I'm so new to this. The Metrodome. But that, right, exactly. Uh, Cal Ripken, like, mm-hmm. they're all at the Metrodome. Yep. But then when you get to your 30s and your 40s, and then for you, you're approaching the big 5-0 here at some point, 
you see it. I think it's more just the progression of your life as a sports fan. If you see it happen 15 times. That's what I'm out there. But if you're a baseball fan who's 25 years old, you're like, well, this is great. Wow, Albert Pujols, 3,000 hits and 600 home runs. Um, where I will agree with Judd, you know who ruined this for everyone? The no-hitters? Phil Bleepin' Umber. When Phil Umber threw a oh, no-hitter, yeah. it was like, oh, come on. Well, Anyone can throw in a hitter. So, that guy can throw a no-hitter. So you, you said in 2015 there were how many? Five? Uh, 2015 there were seven. Okay. 2016 there was one. 17 there was one. 2015 completely... De- Derailed it for me then. 2015. Phil, Umber, Phil Umber was the one who derailed it for me. If anyone but, did. But my my main my main feeling and what I'm curious about is if is if the historical milestones reached in baseball. I I honestly think if you trace it back for me, what really really took it off the track was Bonds, because the the home run total was so special and it was such a big deal and a guy who was completely cheating. Uh, Set a mark, and I can't. It's sad. I can't even tell you the exact amount of home runs the Bonds had now, and the fact that we That's don't sad. know. You know, with, right? We don't know what percentage increase in home runs did steroids have. Let okay, phones are ringing up. The you've riled up the masses here. Six five one six four six eight two five five. Are you celebrating James Paxton's no hitter and Albert Pujols' three thousandth hit, or is it just meh for you? Uh, also, John Krasinski from The Athletic on Inside Timberwolves stuff. We're going to bring back Minnesota Sports Prop Bets at 10 o'clock. Dan Hayes on Twins at 1130. It's Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Matt and Mark, we're going to talk more milestones uh, when we come back. Mackie and Judd now continue. Just press play. On 1500 ESPN. Paxton ready. Here's the windup and the 0-2 pitch. Swing and a one-hopper to third. Seager's got it. Toss across. Ball game is over. James Paxton has just thrown a no-hitter. All right. I love when we... Three already. I love when a Judd rant leads to uh, discussion and argument and callers and emails. I don't think rant... is a good way to start the show. I don't think rant is fair. It's a legit question. Like, I feel a certain way. Do people agree? They might say no. Baseball milestones are still fantastic. So it's really a question of, of am I just getting old and super cranky or old and sort of cranky? Well, I think <laughs> I would say old and not quite roicy cranky, but on the path. Definitely on the path. I'm very proud of Give that, him 20 more years. Uh, so James Paxton threw a no-hitter last night, and I slapped you over the head with facts to, to dismiss part of the narrative. But, like, I think... If you just go off of the narrative that, well, there's just more no-hitters now, and there's just more this, more that, and that's not really true. There's Between 1990 and 1991, you see these blips where there's just a bunch of no-hitters. There were 14 no-hitters between 1990 and 1991, which is more over a two-year stretch than at any point since then. Uh, we've had a couple of years where seven will will occur. We've had some where one will occur. It's just kind of random. Um, the, here's another one, too. We're going to get to some calls, because I think you're right about the perception. We don't necessarily view 500 home runs the same way we did when Mike Schmidt hit his 500th home run. And as a couple emailers are pointing out, part of that's because you just like, you're on to the next, on to the next, on to the next with everything. You've got a TV screen in your pocket. Everyone's scrolling through multiple forms of social media. And that very well might be it. And it's like, you you get an oversaturation. You see the James Paxton highlight a hundred times in a 24-hour period. It's like, okay, like, cool, he threw a no-hitter, on to the next. But 500 home runs... I think there's this perception that, well, I mean, the steroid era has has watered down the 500 home run club. There's just too many guys in the 500 home run club. I do agree that we don't view home runs as this superhero-like feat anymore because 
we went through this period in the 90s where guys were using human growth hormone and who knows what they're using now. But, but factually, between 1960 and 1971, eight guys reached the 500 home run club. Mm-hmm. Let's, take an, let's take an 11-year stretch. Uh, the last guy to get there in, in the major leagues here, uh, David Ortiz in 2015. So let's take that 11-year stretch going back. Eight guys. So you, you had a run of eight guys in the 60s. You had a run of eight guys in the 2010s. But because of 24-hour news cycle, because of steroids making it a little bit more like, oh, yeah, okay, home runs. I do, th- I do think the steroid era really, really harmed how we feel about milestones. And, and the two primary examples to me are Bonds, who, as I told you before, break, I can't even t- tell you how many home runs he finished his career with. And the other one that is super harmful is Palmero. Because Ralphio Palmero statistically should have walked into Cooperstown. And we dismissed. He got what three thousand hit and and five hundred home runs. Correct. Yes. He got to both milestones, and so yeah, I do think that Sammy Sosa's over six hundred yeah. bombs too. And so I think part of my problem is the fact that 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 basically changed how we saw potential baseball milestones. I also blame Chris Heston, that random pitcher from the Giants, the no like three years problem. ago that threw a no hitter. Yeah. Uh, but there's also a but there's a bunch of random guys who've thrown no hitters in years past too. If you go up and down the list, six five one six four six eight two five five. All right, Matt, we're talking baseball milestones. Do they mean as much anymore? No. And even though you guys are just taking all the bullets out of my gun, I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> I feel bad for you because I know you've been a baseball fan for a lot of years, but these guys did it to themselves. Twenty years of PEDs and asterisks next to half the stats and guys' skulls growing five inches in a six-month period. It's just people have turned from it. They're just tired of all the shenanigans that go on in the game of baseball, court bats, juice, baseballs. It's just too much, and people have had enough, and it's not. And it's too bad because the guys that are doing it today probably are clean. But it was a 20-year span. It just kind of sank the ship. Not didn't sink the ship, but it's not what it was. Yeah, Matt, thanks for the call. Let's take another one here. Get some thoughts uh, from Mark here on the Mackie and Judd Show. What's up, Mark? Hey, guys. Two points. Number one, I'm always amazed at baseball people versus other sports people. They're very stat-orientated, like this guy, his, his average, his home runs, what have you. But baseball fields are all different. Football field is 100 yards long, and football people aren't full of stats like baseball people are, basketball people or hockey people. Mm-hmm. That always amazes me that baseball people are stats, stats, stats. Well, if you play in a certain, you know, ball field, Andre Dawson did well when he was with the Expos, but he he was great when he was at Wrigley, and he played for the Cubs for less money because he knew he could do well, and then signed a one-year contract, did very well, and signed a big contract with the with the Cubs after being at Wrigley. Then also on your three hundred hit, or sorry, three thousand hit deal, some players just stick around, and it isn't a big deal because. They're not nearly the player they were, and they're just sticking around and sticking around and waiting to get that 3,000 hit for a you know stamp to Cooperstown. And realistically, some of these players that had 3,000 hits, they're not a 3,000 hit hitter like back in the day. They just stuck around for five, probably five more years than they really should have. I mean, you, you Thanks, could actually Mark. make that case about Albert Pujols. Find, find, that, find that list, though. I, You know what, though? Which one? 3,000? 3,000 hits. As we talked about with Stark yesterday, and Stark broached this, and he's right. Pujols isn't close to being the same, 
but it's still been a fabulous career. He's a legend. Like, These are all legends. The, I was no, the say, no hit list is different. Like, exactly. The no hit list is was, like one guy had the, the night of his life. And that's my point is the three, if you get to 3,000 hits, it's not a I stuck around and fluked it out. It is a I was a damn good baseball player for a long time. And, and I might have stuck around at the very end. But I'm still a Hall of Fame player, for right. the most part. And on the 500 home run list, you, the same is true. Like, Rafael Palmero is one of the great hitters of his era, inflated with steroids. But most of his peers were doing steroids. We had a guy, I don't want to say his name, but he listens to the show. We tweet back and forth. He's a former minor league pitcher for multiple years, called into this show like three years ago. I think you maybe remember this. Yeah. He called into the show like three years ago and said... At least 50% of his minor league peers, and he wasn't able to pinpoint a major league percentage, but at least 50% he saw with his own eyes doing steroids in the 90s. And, and so, like, yeah, Rafael Palmero definitely was on something. It was, he, it was proven that he was on something. But if all of his peers were, or most of his peers were on something too, um, like, th- th- if pitchers were on something, there's a lot of pitchers that you wouldn't even suspect were on something. Andy Pettit was on something for years. That guy doesn't, he's a wiry guy. But the 500 home run club, I could almost make a case that the first wave in the 60s and early 70s, when you had Ted Williams and Willie Mays and Eddie Matthews and all these guys, Hank Aaron, those, the major leagues were still, even though the color barrier was broken in the 1940s, the major leagues were still largely white players. You didn't have the influx of Dominican pitchers and Venezuelan players and for years, Cuban and African American, right? So a lot of the like like Ted Williams barely faced any non-white pitchers. So he wasn't really facing the best pitchers in the world to accumulate those 500 home runs. The same for for uh, for Babe Ruth. Oh yeah, yeah. Back in the 1920s and 1930s, it's actually a lot harder now because you're facing truly the best players in the world because we've broken down all those racial barriers. So you could make a case that Gary Sheffield getting to 500 home runs was physically a harder thing to do because he's facing the best pitchers in the world compared and, to Mel Ott back in the 1940s. And in, in Bonds' case, Bonds was a great player. The sad thing about it is, is because of, of the era and we're certain that he did steroids, it got dismissed. And that's my only point is when when did we just sort of start saying, well, that's a nice accomplishment because we used to, and, and this, is, this is probably layered in things like attention span too, but we used to stop and have this huge appreciation. And baseball was the one sport where, where we did not let a significant milestone pass. And it's not that we don't appreciate it now, but it's definitely changed. Let's take one more here. We got to get to Johnny K. Twins Anonymous. What's up, buddy? I can agree with both of you guys to an extent on this. Um, I think, Judd, I think maybe I would agree with you to the extent that I think some of the mystique is gone mm-hmm. from the milestones. And I would chalk that up to, as Phil stated, social media, especially digital media, and baseball broadcast. I mean, Judd, I grew up in the same area you did. And how many out-of-market baseball games did we have access to when we were kids? There would be the Saturday afternoon game on NBC. Yep. And Monday Night Baseball. That was it. Yep, in the 70s, so, late 70s, you're right. And, you know, we didn't get alerts when, uh, <laughs> you know, when a pitcher was in the seventh inning and had a no-no going. There was no such thing. The first notification we had was waking up the next day and reading the paper, and that was the big story. And given the way media worked then, 
those stories had shelf lives for days. And now in this day, you know, in this day and age of, you know, instant news all the time, I mean, it's just a matter of minutes until the next scandal or the next story pops. And, you know, it just it can't hold our attention span. Yeah, Twins Anonymous, thanks for the call. I'll add this, too. We can come back to this later. It's a good talker. If uh, I, I really think age and time spent watching sports matters here, too. I mean, I'm a, I'm a half generation younger than you are, and so is Dave. And so there's things that we have, like, like a, a championship in this town would be very new to me and Dave. Well, maybe it'd be a little bit less new if you were in your prime. When The, the more you experience something, the less and less excited you get when you watch it. And like if, if I say, hey, you got to go to Manny's. You ever been to Manny's Steakhouse? You got to get to Manny's Steakhouse. Well, if you go to Manny's a hundred times... Because now you're 50 years old and you've just been to Manny's a bunch. It's like, it's still awesome, but it, yeah. you're not going to get as excited about it. And I, I also think when it comes to baseball in particular, the the people who are coming of age now and, and our fans not only consume it differently, but think of the sport differently. I think for me, statistics and milestones were a huge deal. I'm guessing for you, they, they were a big deal. Mm-hmm. I think more and more that part of baseball, it's not that it's going to become unimportant, but I think it's not going to be as important. Yeah, but I, I think we should. And that's go, why I threw. We should cut the number of games down. Let's make the and, game more watchable. And, that, and that's why I, I made my point more as a question. I'm not sure I'm right. It's how I feel about it. Uh, Johnny K is going to join us when we come back. We'll talk Timberwolves, some of the moves that they've made behind the scenes. Uh, Rick Brunson and uh, the allegations of improper conduct toward women, the assistant who, who resigned yesterday. There's all kinds of stuff to talk about with these Timberwolves next. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. <sighs> oh, hey, guys. <laughs> Mackey and Judd. You okay? <laughs> On 1500 ESPN. All right, Timberwolves. All right, let's, uh, let's get Johnny K in the mix here. Talk some Timberwolves. Johnny Krasinski from The Athletic, uh, theathletic.com. Can you just go to theathletic.com slash Timberwolves? Is that an easy way to find your coverage right now, Johnny? Yep, you can do that or athletic.com slash MN, and that gets you right to the Minnesota page with all of our sports there as well. So plenty of ways to do it. Awesome. All right, tell, tell us what can you, uh, what kind of information do you have, not only – you know, the, the, the three behind-the-scenes uh, shooting coach, you have uh, three, I guess, support assistants that uh, were let go, and now Rick Brunson resigns amid allegations of improper conduct toward multiple women. What can you tell us? Yeah, well, I say, I mean, we can start chronologically. Monday, uh, Tom Thibodeau made the decision to let go of uh, a player development coach, Vince Lagarza. Um, who works closely with Cat really over the last three years, um, and then shooting coach Peter Patton, and then an assistant video coordinator named Wes Bone. Like now, those moves really are just basketball-related decisions. Coaches change coaches and staff all the time, so um, I think that was just a decision that he made that he wanted to try some new faces and 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 make some changes there and and see what happens. Um, and you know the, the 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 big one was yesterday when Rick Brunson resigned, uh, tendered his resignation with with the team, and um, I've reported at the Athletic that at least uh, two investigations have been done, uh, uh, taken up by the team into some alleged misconduct and and improper uh, interactions with women. Um, I, from what I have seen so far, none of it rises to the level of criminal behavior but certainly 
um, the, the organization determined that after their latest investigation that his conduct did not meet their standards um, that, that they set for their employees. And so they asked for his resignation, and, and he offered it. Now, a, a lawyer for him has, has said that uh, Rick Brunson is, 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 did nothing wrong. So we'll wait and see if he's really, you know, how far he's going to take it to dispute uh, these characterizations made by the team in their statement yesterday. But certainly right now there's uh, a lot of uh, intrigue and, and, and drama over there surrounding the exit of a, uh, of a coach. Johnny, a big picture. Is this franchise on the right track? Because the the fact that they hadn't made the playoffs in 13 years sort of blinds us, and, and we say, oh, it's great that they're back in the playoffs. And that's all well and good. But is this franchise, in your opinion, with, with the way that things are playing out, uh, it, are they on the right track here, do you think? Well, I, I, it's a complicated question. I mean, I would say they're, they're, they have some good things going for them. I mean, they... They did make the playoffs for the first time in 14 years. They won 16 more games than they did the year before. Um, they had a top five offense, you know. So there were things accomplished on the court that Tibbs can be rightly be proud of and and feel good about. I will tell you that in covering this team and in being as close to it as I am, um, there are also concerns behind the scenes about kind of tension that is hanging in the air there. Um, Tension between you know Tibbs you know, and and kind of the, the the Bulls side of the equation and the people who were here before Tibbs arrived, including players. And you know there were you know several of the bench players were very unhappy with the way that uh, things went last year for them and and a lack of communication. And so um, you know you, you would think you know from the outside you would think given all that they accomplished on the court. Everything would be roses, and and everything would be happy and positive, and 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 everyone would feel great about where they're going. But I can tell you that's not the case. I mean, there are real concerns. Can that be changed and addressed? Absolutely. Um, but it, this is not a situation where everything is is wine and chocolate right now. That's just that's the way that it is. Yeah. John Krasinski from The Athletic, it would seem that because of his contract and it's a salary cap league and with the arms race in the Western Conference that Andrew Wiggins is such a huge key to the future of this franchise, whether they decide to dangle him as a trade chip or if they decide to hang on to him, he's going to have to start to fulfill a lot more than just showing up once every four nights and putting up big numbers. He's going to have to be an every night uh, motor guy. What Do you think Tom Thibodeau what what kind of relationship do they have, Tom Thibodeau and Andrew Wiggins? And do you think Tom Thibodeau is capable of squeezing more toothpaste out of that tube? Well, so, I, I mean, I know that especially in year one, Tom Thibodeau really made a lot of efforts to try and uh, get to uh, connect with Andrew, you know, on a level above and beyond just yelling and screaming at him. I mean, I think that he knew that a guy like Zach Levine was built better to handle that kind of feedback, uh, you know, than maybe a Wiggins is, who is more cerebral and 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 kind of gets turned off by that kind of approach. Um, he made those efforts and was not obviously satisfied with the way that that was going. Brought in Jimmy Butler, hoping that you know, he would be able to kind of 
light a different fire and, 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 and strike a different chord with Andrew, and I, I don't think that has happened either. And so I do think there are frustrations on Tibbs and Butler's part uh, about what they, you know, what they see from Andrew day in and day out and how you know, he's not the grinder that either one of them are. I think there are also some frustrations with Andrew about the way that things have gone. And, and, you know, he, you know, maybe not feeling like, you know, Jimmy Butler, uh, kind of essentially openly ripping him in the public is, is, is productive. So, um, there's no question that if they keep him, and, and I think it's going to be hard to trade him if they, if they even look to do that, but if they do keep him, they need to get more out of that relationship one way or another. And both sides, I think, have some compromises that need to be made to try and get that to be productive because you're right, Phil, if, if they can't, if they can't connect and if, if, if they can't get more consistency out of Andrew Wiggins and more consistently really good play, uh, the ceiling on the team is just so much lower. Johnny, uh, could there, there be potentially fallout from the decision to fire a guy who, uh, who Cat was close to? And just to be clear, before they, they made the move, I take it that he was not consulted and or even talked to about this, correct? Right, and and yeah, I, you know, look, I I don't I don't think that um, you can blame Tom Thibodeau for wanting to make changes to his staff, especially with guys who he inherited. And so, if he wants to go out and bring in a guy that he feels more comfortable with, he has every right to do that. Um, but I think when you're talking about making a change with an all-star player on your team, who uh, a close confidant, who a guy who has um, worked with him for three straight years. They clearly have a good relationship. He cat relies relied on Vince Lagarza a lot. Um, there needed to be some kind of conversation and not asking permission, right. but just saying, hey, Carl, here's what we're doing here. This is what we think we can do better, and this is why we're making this move. That didn't happen, and so I, I would expect, and I haven't talked to Carl about this, but I would expect that you know, he is going to be asking for some answers and probably a little upset that, that he was not clued in before you know, being notified about it while he was on vacation from Vince himself, according to people close to Carl. Yeah. Uh, we were yesterday. We were just going through from a macro perspective what the what the the four conference finals teams, or at least the uh, at the time the four that looked like the likely conference finals teams. So you got Warriors, Rockets. You're gonna have Cavs and Celtics, and what their profiles look like. And all four of them are either top three in three point make percentage or top three in total three-pointers made throughout the course of the regular season. And then with Boston and then at least one or, one or two of the other teams, uh, those teams are also great at preventing opponents from shooting corner threes and from getting to the rim, like things that you should be mindful of in today's NBA. And the Wolves rate below average to bottom of the league in all of those things I just mentioned. Do you think Tom Thibodeau is aware of and or has a plan to address the major deficiencies between where the Wolves are and where 2018 winning teams are at, Johnny? Like championship-level teams? Yeah, Phil, I, I, I think he knows um, you know, where they need to be better. And, you know, um, when you, especially talking about the three-pointers, some of that is roster construction. I mean, so, you know, Jamal Crawford is not a high-percentage three-point shooter. Andrew Wiggins, Jimmy Butler, you know, all of these guys, the only 
really above-average good three-point shooters that they have on their team are Carl Anthony Towns and, and Nemanja Bielitsa. Um, you know, Jeff Teague's okay there, and maybe slightly above average, but not much. So, um, I, you know, I, I can understand why he, didn't, he felt like he didn't want to force players to take shots that they weren't comfortable with or that they, that they can't make at a decent clip. But um, part of that is on him as well that he's got to look for ways to incorporate more shooters into the mix, either that or help these guys develop their shots more so they're more of a consistent threat in that area. Um, but that said, yeah, I, I, he's aware of the numbers. I mean, um, he, nobody studies this team more closely than he does. The question is, is are they going to be able to address those deficiencies quickly enough, either through roster moves or development of their current guys to close that gap because the window, guys, is open right now for them. Just where the age of their roster is, the window is open now. And they got to go here in the next two to three years, provided Butler is here. And, um, And so that's the challenge for them is to make significant changes in a very short amount of time. All that, that being said, Johnny, do you think think that we see a significant move made in, in the coming months before training camp by this club? I think they're going to try. I think, um, I think they're going to explore all their options. I think they'll, they'll at least field calls and, 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 and make exploratory calls about Andrew Wiggins and Gorgie Jang and, and, a few of the, and a few of the other pieces. The problem that it, they are going to be presented with is most of their pieces do not have a high trade value. And so um, they're going to have to get creative, either with three-team deals, either you know attaching a first-round pick to somebody maybe to, to kind of entice a team to take them, which is always an odorous option as well. But uh, they have their work cut out for them. There are no like obvious moves that are going to easily be executed to make big changes. But I do know that Scott Layden told us at the season-ending press conference that they plan to be aggressive and they plan to go out and try. Now, the the key will be finding a dance partner or partners to help make that happen, and I don't know that they're going to have an easy time doing that. He's one of the best in the country covering the NBA. You can find his work on the Timberwolves, theathletic.com slash Timberwolves. Johnny, we'll catch up soon, man. Great info. Thanks, John. Thanks, guys. John Krasinski. Let's come back, digest some of that stuff that we just talked about. And uh, we'll do some Minnesota sports prop bets at the top of the hour, too. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackie and Judd now continue. Oh, well, that just makes my nipples hurt. <laughs> 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 yeah. On 1500 ESPN. Think you know who will win this weekend at TPC Sawgrass? Prove it! By signing up for 1500 ESPN's Majors Fantasy Golf Challenge. Or you can just log in and make those picks if you already have signed up. Maybe you made your master's picks and lost to me. Select your players from the featured groups. Watch that field unfold. Correctly choosing your players could win you a golf trip for four to Craigans. Make your picks before 6.55 tomorrow morning. Get it done today before 6.55 tomorrow. That's your deadline to be entered. Head to 1500ESPN.com to sign up. I just made my picks. Did you really win, or are you just thumping your chest? I was second out of everybody who made picks. Who are your top top dogs there? You didn't pick Tiger. I picked Tiger because I'm emotional. (laughs) Yeah, of course you did. I had Ricky. I had had like three guys in the top five or seven, something like that. I did very well. Good for you. How'd I do? 
You did okay, I think. I'd have to pull it up. Maybe if you made your picks, you could look. You picked Tom Kite seven times. <laughs> I love Tom Kite. I'm emotional. You're emotional about Tiger. I'm emotional about Tom Kite. Watching golf in like the 90s before Tiger came along, and you'd flip on a tournament, and it was just like a bunch of Steve... Like a bunch Try of the 80s. Jeff Jansen or Steve Jansen's, whatever. Get your Davis Love fix. Yeah. <laughs> Judd, you were 76th. Oh, then I did not do well at all. Thank Phil, you. I was, I was way lower, right? You were 554th. Out of oh, many? hey, I did well. I think about 900 or 1,000. Oh, okay. I mean, total disaster. It's close. You, hey, you kicked the crap out of Reavers, who was 745. So good for you. <laughs> and you'll still pick Tiger, Phil. That's what I love about you. See here, the golfer. You'll you know, I might be Tiger. off Tiger here. I might be off Tiger. Whoa. 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 Uh-uh. That's not the way the Where's show works. Where's the breaking news? He did. He eagled. He eagled in his practice round yesterday. That's not the way the show works. No. He's not in. I uh, have old man takes, and you stick with Tiger, and that's in our contracts. He's not in. Oh, interesting. Is he not. Uh, He's not one of the first three groups. He's in group four or five, something like that. Same group as Phil, and ironically, those two playing together Thursday, Friday. Mm, interesting. Not ironic, really? Don't know that fits the definition of ironic. Okay, Alanis Morissette. I, I don't care. I was going to give you guys a lesson, but that's fine. No, we already got no, that No, that's from great. It's great on your wedding day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yes, Forget about it. Yesterday, the guy that knew that that had to learn the difference to work on the uh, copy desk at the start. You're room. just going to carry this segment right now. Go ahead. Well, irony, <laughs> irony. I've been told is this. Irony, I'm literally going to leave. Irony the is now. when no, I'm not done. Irony is when you got a cat in the tree. So, so you call it the fire department. Turn me back up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teaching a lesson here. Back up. All right. So the fire department shows up. And as the fire truck is pulling up, the cat falls out of the tree, and the fire truck hits and kills the cat. That's ironic. So the so the irony there is that you call the you, fire the department cat to save the cat, the fire, but still died at the hands of the thing that was no, going to save it. The irony is is that that the cat there there was no fire. The cat was stuck in the tree. Oh, I see. And okay. you called someone to save sure. the cat, and then the very people that were supposed to save the cat killed the cat. Killed the cat. That's irony, I've been told. Okay, how about if there's like an old guy, he's 98 years old, he wins the lottery, but dies the next day. Is that ironic? No, I don't think it is. How about a black fly in your Chardonnay? Also not. Are you just going through the entire what song? About, what about a death row pardon that's two minutes too late? Are you just, you're going through the whole song. <laughs> the guy afraid to fly, and he flies, because that's how the song starts, It's like right? a free ride. But you nothing's ironic about that song. Okay. It's like if Uber shows up and the guy says, "Hey, you know this one's on me," but you already paid on the app. That's just bad luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 what people assume is irony a lot of times is purely just coincidence. Right, like that's the biggest problem. Like if you and I both enjoy a steakhouse and we show up to that steakhouse at the same Not time, no, it's just coincidental. Correct. Or you know, we were just talking about that steakhouse yesterday, and now we're both here. Isn't that ironic? No, that's just coincidental. That's a complete right? coincidence. Right. Right. So how would you take? Let's go through some of these. If there's rain on your wedding day. That's not ironic. That's bad, that's luck. Bad, that's luck. bad luck. How would that be ironic? Like, how would you make that scenario? What would have to happen for that to be ironic? There's rain on your wedding day. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. So you would need to. Hmm. Could you even make that ironic? I'm sure you could. If you're creative, you could, Judd. <laughs> if you call the fire department to save you and they. And hey, they you started can't... this segment. If you can't no, turn that into irony, then this is a waste of a no, segment. No, I don't know that, that I can't. I'm just explaining that. that Irony is one of the most overused terms when a lot of it is purely 
coincidence, as we said. Sure. That's all I'm saying. I'm trying to think, like, something would have to happen leading up to the rain on your wedding day to make it ironic. It would need to be a plan where you were sure it what, wasn't going to rain, and then it rained regardless. I don't even know that, that you could torture it and, and into you'd being to, ironic. And you'd have to make it rhyme for the song. You don't know? you think? Well, that song was it's one of the most overrated a little songs too ironic, of Dave. all time. <laughs> oh, the 90s had some bad music. Yes, I really do think. <laughs> Thanks, Alanis. It's better than the 80s. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, I think I might disagree. I think the 90s was a, a down moment. Musically, six five one six four six eight two five five. If Johnny Height wants to call it, yeah, he's going to call it a rail on us. You guys don't know the underground scene. In the eighties, it was fantastic. Uh, let's get to some Minnesota sports prop bets when we come back. Uh, Dan Hayes on Twins from the Athletic at eleven thirty. Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios.